effect is September 13, 2021. The motion was by Mrs. Anderson and the second was by Mrs. Blades. It passed on a 5 to vote. So we have many new qualified individuals that are joining us. So we're excited about the, the actions we've taken in our closed session. Okay, at this time, I'm going to turn to my left and ask that um, our board vice president lead us in the pledge. Everybody, please stand and join me. Translation services or other accommodations, we will be happy to accommodate anyone with that request. The more notification we have ahead of time, preferably a day or two before, that really helps us to make sure that we can have someone there or the equipment there. And last but not least, we want to hear all the opinions. There will be diverse opinions, but please be respectful of anyone that's at the podium. We do have a civility policy. I do expect that everyone to, to listen with politeness and not interrupt with any, any comment or other activity that would be distracting. So keep that in mind as you come forward. All right. We do have a public hearing this evening, and that is on 
I'll make a motion uh, to recommend that the superintendent of schools, the Board of Education, approve the minutes of the regular meeting of August 10th, 2021. I'll second. Okay. I have a motion for Mr. Youngblood and a second by Mrs. Anderson. Uh, are there any additions, corrections, or other comments that you have for you? Okay. Okay, then we're going to go ahead and take a vote. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed? I'm going to abstain because I did not hear that. Okay. So the record will show that there were four ayes and one abstention from Mrs. Buck, who is not present at that meeting. And also, that, that's it. All right. Uh, moving on to item two, I will take a motion, please. I'll make a motion um, to approve the Board of Education the minutes for the special meeting on August 30th. Second. Okay. I have a motion from Mrs. Anderson and a second from Mrs. Bach. Again, any additions, corrections, or other? I'll need to abstain. I just know that. 
Other than that, okay, we'll take our vote. All those in favor, please say aye. Aye. And then I will indicate that there were four that voted aye and then one abstention for Mr. Wendell. Thank you very much. So we're here. We're at public comment. Do I have do I have all four? Okay, we have 33 speakers at this time. and that would conclude it again. Without me having it here right now, no other cards for me is accepted. So I just want to be sure that it's clear say someone isn't qualified. Okay, what I'd like to do, which I've done in the past when we have numerous speakers, is I'm going to call three names. Those are the names in which Hello, good evening. Name's Ed Gunn. I've got a little uh, note that I want to read to you guys. It's entitled, Union Poison Travels in a Circle. Children go to school where the union reigns. Those children get polluted with things like socialism, Marxism. Everything is free and there's no responsibility. Those children grow up and they hear political ads with the same lies told to them at school, paid for by the teacher's union. Those adults vote for brain-dead Marxist morons like Newsom, Biden, and Harris, who answer to the teachers' union. Those political Marxist morons then pass laws to teach our children more crap, like 1619 Project, CRT, Ethnic Studies, 31 Genders, etc. You, you do not need to wonder why America is in big, big trouble. Teachers, good. Union, bad. Teachers, I urge you, quit the union. They're destroying America. indoctrination that does not belong in our K-12 education because their students aren't mature enough to handle the subject. So I ask you, CRT, in CRT you are either a victim or you are a suppressor. What does that look like out on a playground? Well, let me tell you, it's cowboys and Indians on steroids. That's what it looks like. So I always ask myself when this stuff starts happening, why? Why is this happening? Hmm, guess what I found out? Maybe our students going, aren't going off to college at the rate we thought they were going off to college. Take Esperanza High School, for instance. Approximately 1,500 students. The fall of 2020, 99 applied, 94 got accepted, and 37 went off to a four-year CSU. Really? We'll have to do injury marks at That's this point. That's horrible. No wonder you need to teach. Get them. 
talk about the new, um, I don't even know if it's new, but the student um, symptom decision tree. And I know that that is something that um, CDHP has handed down to our district. Um, but my son came home in tears this week. Uh, a coach pulled him aside and kind of encouraged a vaccination on him. And um, I know that's not okay, and I can move beyond that. But this um, decision tree is setting everyone up for discrimination. A coach can discriminate if you are or not, and you can say, well, coaches can't know that. Well, how are they not going to know when you can sit in class, school can get your money, but then for 14 days, they're not on the sidelines. So maybe they're on the sidelines, but they're the only one in the mask, and they're perfectly healthy. Like, that is not how sports are supposed to be. That's not how dance is supposed to be or any of the extracurricular activities. Um, it's coercion. There's a reward of freedom for our children if they get the vaccination. It's just not okay. School Board School Public School Institute prepare students for college and the workforce. 
Only 32% of fourth graders are reading proficiently in California. That is well below the average and behind 25 other states. I would like to see us focus more on um, spending our money to help our children succeed. I don't know the numbers, but I think uh, enrollment must have declined. I know so many families that have pulled their kids out of the system this year and are doing homeschool or private school. Um, my own grandchildren were supposed to go to Linda Vista, and they're not now because of the um, CRT, the mask mandate, and the radical sex ed. Parents should be permitted to teach their children those, those things, those areas of sensitive issue, and parents have been entrusted with these children. And we've all heard the science, and I really just think we need to get back to basics. Sarah Phillips, I'm a teacher librarian at Roebling High School. Tomorrow starts uh, Hispanic Heritage Month. It's a national um, monthly recognition. Uh, Trustee Buck came to my library today and she saw the book display that I have out there. There's also a virtual component on the library's website. You can just go to wildlychess.org to um, check that out. And you can see other previous virtual um, displays that I've created for Black History Month, Women's History Month, and so on. Uh, I believe it's important to spotlight different voices in our community so that everybody's um, stories can be told. I'd like to talk about our high school libraries. We do a great deal to support our students from managing Chromebooks and textbooks to building a collection the students enjoy and that also support the curriculum, um, providing an inviting multi-use space for our students, and all sorts of other things we do to support our administration staff, students, and parents. Thank you. Hi, I'm Don Brown. Um, we're going to try to cut this short on two different topics. One is the mask mandates. And real quickly, just use the science. I mean, right now we know that there's about 0.2% of the deaths are due to COVID. 0.3%. So what does that tell us? It tells us science isn't being used teachers unions are being used and that's wrong second one is associated with what we're doing on the CRT my daughter just went through the CRT like went through the universities and through California and came home indoctrinated she calls me a white racist she calls me a uh, white privileged guy I am not and I and I you know they got the thing where you get caught in the whole thing they can't get out of it but I'm not and uh, it's very frustrating to get involved in that um, I just want to make sure that everybody asks the question, why CRT? Why do we really need to do that? There's, aren't we learning history right now? Isn't history important for us to learn and learn it in the right way? I mean, I asked I ask just a couple questions for you. And that is, kids love kids no matter what the colors are until they get to school. Why, why do you desire to ruin it for their kids? And why not just to history and not ideology?
kind of go faster than other of us can shrink. But as I sat down to write what I was going to say tonight in about a minute or less, I realized the absolute insanity of this exercise. Our kids, grandkids, future generations will be impacted by these unconstitutional self-suffocation devices, which prevent not only social going for our kids, but increased airway resistance during exhalation and ultimately lead to increased carbon dioxide in the blood. There are so many other points that I could expand on, but that's just not time. Additionally, this is very divisive and natural this very divisive and naturally segregating implementation of learning called critical race, which catapults us backwards instead of moving forward in unity and acceptance for all and creates a hate for others is the most un-American theory I have ever come across. But my point is this, if this panel was truly interested in what we had to say, we would never be limited to one minute because you're in a hurry to get home. Yep. If you really cared about our kids and the generations to come, you would create time. And I know you're going to cut me off, but I want to tell you something. I'm going to cut you off. I know, you always do. It's but it's very important that we pay more. This is not a town home. This is out of business meeting. because somebody wanted a little bit more time. My thought for a moment was to uh, give her my minute so she could... Uh, uh, I'm a little speechless because I'm a little bit shocked that this is... Uh, 
Just tell them to go to the Andy Falco Show. The Andy Falco Show. It's on YouTube. All right. So I'm not sure when they're going to come back. They said they're going to take a recess for 10 minutes. Um, it's gotten pretty exciting around here. This has not happened uh, at a meeting yet. <laughs> um, so I'm not even sure how to respond to this, but uh, it's exciting. Like I said, I wish I would have thought fast enough. I should have given her my minutes. So she could have continued going because she was on fire and just upset. Um, the apple cart a bit maybe could have uh, given that minute. Maybe a few of us had a minute or so to go. 
Um, oh, we got some comments coming up. Let's see what people are saying. Oh my gosh, I need glasses. Hey, uh, Michelle, thank you. Uh, that the school district was going to start the stream. Well, that's what I heard, but maybe they thought I was busy doing it. Yeah, Kathy, that was a wow moment for sure. Um, control, <laughs> yeah, control it, it's fine. Yeah, she, um, yeah. Uh, I don't know. I don't know what she's going to do because we still have... How many was that? I think we... Oh, she's coming back. I'm going to turn my camera around. One Last week, we, we received an email from um, Principal Davis regarding new protocol for, um, for vaxxed and unvaxxed kids. I was appalled. This is segregation wrapped up in medical tyranny. There should be no contact tracing. These policies further divide our children between vaxxed and unvaxxed on a product that is still going through clinical trials. Currently, there are hundreds of lawsuits that have been filed, one just recently by UCI psychiatry professor and director of medical ethics, Dr. Aaron Piatri. He cites that the vaccine mandate is a violation of the Equal Protection Clause of the United States Constitution's 14th Amendment. There will be more no lawsuits. Yes. Yes. The number of deaths related 
is promoting the COVID vaccine specifically, this year is greater than the number of deaths of all the other vaccines we give our children. And then the third bullet, just in, in general, inflammation of the heart in young adults. Why are we even discussing a vaccine that could potentially harm our young children? If you look at those three bullets and the way the decision tree is formed, it appears that they're rewarding the vaccinated, penalizing the unvaccinated, right? And creating an environment where children feel as though they need to be part of the part of the vaccinated crowd, whether their parents agree with it or not. I'm asking the board to please take that into consideration and try and help them fight for our children. Indoctrination. This word is used a lot, and I want to make sure that everyone in this room and everyone listening in understands what it is mean, what it means to be indoctrinated. Indoctrination means teaching someone to accept a set of beliefs or ideas without questioning them, without having a conversation or critical thinking. So when does this happen in our schools? Assemblies, people are up there, they're talking, they're giving their ideas, they're sharing their beliefs, there's no communication. Speakers, again, they're talking, they're giving their ideas, they're sharing their beliefs, there's no communication, there's no critical thinking. But the worst is the online programs. Because the teachers say, okay class, 30 minutes, go onto this website, and these students are logging in and they're watching videos or they're reading articles, and there's no communication, there's no critical thinking, there's no dialogue. That is indoctrination. These large companies that PYLUSD is contracted with are horrific. Please look them up. News ELA, I ready. There's a whole litany of them. Look them up. Look at the CEO's messaging. BLM, CRT, it's all there.
so I've been pondering what to say to tonight's um, meeting since the last meeting and um, just kind of waiting to see what unfolded, what was of the utmost important, immediate importance. And quite honestly, I there's just so much. There's so much right now that I'm embarrassed to be part of the education field. However, I still hold my head up high because I know there are amazing educators out there and they do not agree with this evil that's plaguing our education system. So at this point, I come to the few things that have already been touched on, and since I know my time's going to run quick, I'm just going to say I'm in full agreement with um, a lot of the things that I've been saying tonight. Uh, the masks are ridiculous. I mean, the only two places in California you are mandated and required is a medical place and a classroom. That's ridiculous. I mean, you can go to a concert with a thousand different people and you don't have to wear a mask, but we're masking our children. We could go on and on for that about that forever. Uh, CRT is about as racist as it gets for uh, a program and it has no place in our public education system. Um, my time's up before I even get to my last one, but please listen to our please. My name is Karen Fisher. I'm the mom of six kids, ages 9 to 18. Um, I'm an immigrant to this country, and I'm a first-generation partaker in the American dream. I fled high crime and corruption. And I know what corruption looks like. And you should be ashamed of yourselves, because I'm looking at it right now. Unacceptable <laughs> <laughs> to our schools to hold our kids' education ransom is corruption. And you should be ashamed of yourselves. My kids don't belong to the state, and they are not for sale. I will not be coerced into accepting the dangerous and fictional mandates and curriculum that you are proposing. I do not consent to vaccine mandates, and I do not, and I oppose the proposed critical race theory. We as parents are all here because we're on to you, and I'm telling you that it's not going to end well for all of you. You're not following the science, you're following the money. Yeah. The American dream is dying, and it's because of the actions of people like you. And it's going to be a legacy that's going to be on your heads.
only some random U.S. non-vetted COVID numbers on a piece of paper, you voted against a parent's right to choose for their child. The state mandates regarding mass vaccines, health decisions are constantly removing parents out of the decisions for our own children. Ms. Freeman and Ms. Buck, it is clear you align with the state and you don't see the value of parents having rights to our own children. I have been asleep in this district in the past, but I'm awake. We are awake. Yeah. Approve agenda item 22. There was absolutely no parent reviews on her website related to the trainings. Thanks. First of all, congratulations on the low infection rates in our school district right now. I think that's proof positive that what you're doing is working and the health and safety of our children. Please leave your own personal prejudices at the door. Here, you're here to represent 26,000 students, not just the students that look like you or may share your faith. They did all of our students deserve your protection. And finally, uh, I hope that you're going to be listening to all of the parents, not just the loudest voices in the room, but all of the voices in the room. It's been my experience that many times the loudest voices are the most untruthful voices. Please. We need to do better. I, I would like to have you facility. Thank you very much. 
Growing up, I vividly remembered the district pushing a slogan called DARE. It was a program that taught students to be bold and not give in to peer pressure. Fast forward to present day, and not only has our district fostered an environment of peer pressure, but with current vaccine protocols, it has effectively segregated the student population. The strategy appears to punish the unvaccinated until they just give in to your desired outcome. You're a group of adults manipulating a vulnerable age group who just want to fit in and go with the flow. You're indeed peer pressuring them into getting vaccinated against their will or beliefs by withholding attendance to school, sports, and extra, extracurricular activities. You divided the school into two categories, vaccinated and unvaccinated, and different rules apply to each group, and it's not fair to our students. I do like your new slogan, however, noticed, needed, and nurtured. We noticed you weren't vaccinated, so there will be consequences. We needed you to get the shot, but you didn't listen to us. We nurtured vaccinated students while your child languages the focus on students. <laughs> 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 and the response we've been directed to give us is to visit the 
CDC website and that your hands are tied. At some point, you have to put our students before your careers and not do the this year is to have a good year to have fun to be make new friends but she has to worry about all of the stuff you're shoving down our children's mouths and in their ears and it just makes me absolutely sick and I feel so bad for my daughter I want to see her succeed I want to see her go on and be somebody not somebody who's a drain on the system but somebody who is going to go out earn her own way and fight for people, not lay around and expect somebody else to do it for her. Thank you very much. Why is an unvaccinated child so threatening to a vaccinated teacher? And why are teachers bullying children to get vaccinated? We cannot have a vaccine vaccine mandate. It should be illegal, immoral, unconstitutional. I'll cover as much as I can. First, COVID-19 is almost certainly a gain-of-function virus. You need to research that item. Second, Robert Malone, widely recognized as a key innovator of messenger RNA technology, argues that this type of vaccine should not be universally given. In fact, if 100% get this vaccine, the results could backfire. Third, COVID infection breakthroughs among the vaccinated are widespread. They're not coding it in Orange County, but we are hearing that they are widespread. Fourth, VAERS data should not be ignored. And I know what the arguments are against VAERS. I know that, but don't ignore this data. What about natural immunity? And why are we being bribed and threatened when the number one resistors to the vaccine are medical care professionals and first responders? My time is up.
got through it. It was about three or four days. We were filling down, showing a little health. We were able to take a lot of vitamin D, supplement. Um, we were able to get through it pretty easily. My kids got it. My two younger kids got it. Two and a four-year-old. The extent of their COVID disease was a runny nose. Not even a temperature, not even anything. And so it's pretty insane. I see it from my point that you're looking to mask our children when they can get through it and their immune systems fight it better than anything. The data shows that COVID is less deadly than the common cold. and programs which were approved in the LCAP. On another point, we ask that the district enforce masking, virus tracking, transparency, and testing at each school site in order to keep in-person school and avoid disruptions in education for over 24,000 students. We strongly encourage oversight, 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 and accountability. We expect the staff and the principals to implement all the measures. I was a teacher at Central York Belinda School District for eight years. I've taught for 32 years. The reason I'm here is on Sunday, I had one of your parents with tears in their eyes talk to one of the board members here and was worried about their child getting having to get the COVID shot. And I, I was just astounded. I'm sorry. Um, in the beginning of COVID, I've been obsessed with finding out what is everything about it because it didn't sound right to me. None of it sounded right to me. So I'm here today to talk about COVID mandates. You realize that only that 99.97% of children from 20 below do not have are not affected by COVID. You will also note that is a, it's an experimental drug. And if you're going to experiment with the children in your district, then you need to tell the parents what's in the COVID vaccine, which you cannot do. Thank you very much.
family-oriented people who have high standards, not only for our children, but our society too. And now at these meetings, you are realizing that we have high standards for you as well. We are involved parents who believe in teaching and instilling in our kids attributes of kindness, honesty, accepting and loving others, and working hard for what they want. If we are at the point that we are telling any child that because of the color of their skin that they are not able or capable of achieving what they have worked so hard for because they have either been oppressed or have been an oppressor simply because of the skin color they were born with is not only against the attributes that we as parents have worked so hard to instill in our children, it is simply wrong. This is what critical race theory says and ultimately this will be what is taught if this district allows this to happen. My point to you tonight is that we as parents need to know that we are being heard by you, our elected school board. A parent's voice should be the most important, not your opinion or your view. You are hearing from us in large numbers now because you have lost our trust. Um, I've heard some people talk about the various um, 
applications that are used in the talks in New Zealand, things like that, I ask you to allow our kids to have some critical reasoning by use, utilizing those systems and then thinking on their own and talking with their parents and their teachers.
They kick off the school year at El Dorado captured a school-wide photo of over 2,000 students and staff on the turf on the first day and held a well-attended school dance. The Golden Hawks also won back the bell in their annual cross-town rivalry football game against Valencia High School with a score of 28-6. Overall, the school has already become a stronger together through the PBIS Foundation and the core of what El Dorado believes most spirit number states at El Dorado High School. Esperanza just finished its successful first two weeks of the school with a pep rally, more dance, and a football game. Students have been excited to get involved on campus again and are now preparing for their homecoming weekend. The Aztecs homecoming football game and rally on Friday, September 24th and Saturday, September 25th. Esperanza students started the school year strong by creating various clubs to promote involvement across campus. The school's annual club rush week will take place at the beginning of October. George Key School Venture Academy students are busy getting back to school. This year, the school is focused on increasing functional communication skills. Training has started for aides on how to communicate with children with complex communication needs. The school is fortunate to partner with CSUF professor and speech language pathologist, Dr. Lisa Aaron Davidson, to earn about evidence-based practices in communication. Venture Academy has also been busy developing relationships with local businesses owners to increase job training opportunities for students. Crystal Farms and Blake's, and Blake's Barbecue are two of the latest business partners that will be working with the district's adults at Venture. Parkview School student council and leadership teams are excited to return to campus to hold elections, which will be followed by the campus annual meet and greet game and holiday Cheerios food drive. Valencia High School Tiger Tube Live debuted as an elective class this school year in order to enhance the school's already strong video production program. The class will allow students to explore the art of live television broadcast to by live streaming sports, performing arts, and other school events. Students will also integrate equipment setup, production planning, graphic design, networking, script, and performance broadcasting during the year-long class. Valencia's National Honor Society will once again offer Tiger tutoring four days per week this school year starting September 20th. This service will support students with a place to get assistance for homework. Tutors will also offer assistance via Zoom for local elementary school students who need assistance. Tiger tutoring is offered Monday through Friday in the Valencia Library from 3 to 4 p.m. A late bus is also provided for students who require transportation after tutoring. Way to go, VHS. Over at Yorba Linda High School, over 1,600 students returned to campus with a week of welcome, which included an alternative bell schedule to accommodate daily activities in a welcome rally. Each student was given an individualized gift by the first day, followed by a warm welcome from teachers, staff, and administrators. The theme of this year is Get Connected, which promotes inclusivity and positive campus culture. Through this year's free lunch program, Yorba Linda School is serving 200 additional lunches per day than usual. As a result, the Mustangs have opened two more lunch lines and staff have volunteered to work along nutritional nutrition services workers to serve food, supervise lines, and make signs to streamline the process. Way to go, Mustangs. Sorry, I apologize. Thanks for reminding me. 
I was saying that Antonio Porch uh, under uh, Valencia uh, is pretty pretty amazing actually to uh, say that all 72 in the Ivy Club and the International Baccalaureate um, earned their diploma this year. So that's tremendous. Well, you're a senior year, and we're going to have and being within the mission to focus with learning by um, providing like higher academic classes or taking all those classes that I've been involved in. Um, that's pushed me to be harder or kind of push myself a little bit harder in my academics and think more critically and kind of let me go deeper into certain topics. Um, I've, it's also got me to be more involved in my community and with on-campus activities. I've also learned to have stronger leadership that will continue to benefit myself with anything I do. Um, and South Carolina as well has always been very supportive with um, anything that the students need, whether it's um, with school or just anything mentally. Like, they've been very supportive, um, especially with my um, personal life right now. It's, they've been very supportive. And, um, I know that both Grove and the high school make their state has to for a successful future that I'm excited to be when I graduate. Organization 
are hosting the Central Walk and Roll Festival this Saturday, September 18th from 9 a.m. to 1 p.m. at Craner Middle School in Central. Students and families are encouraged to attend and, particip in, and participate in free bike tune-ups, skills stations, and a way on Additional information about this event is available on our website at www.pylusd.org news. We are grateful to have such supportive local partners who prioritize the safety and well-being of our entire school district community. It's hard to believe that it's been 20 years since the attacks on Nation occurred on September 11, 2001. Each year, our school district joins the nation in remembering the thousands of Americans who lost their lives as a result of these attacks, including the brave first responders. Every year on September 11th, known as Patriot Day, PYLUSD facilities fly flags at half staff and all schools hold special activities in remembrance. This year was no different as schools encourage students to wear red, white, and blue, decorated campuses with patriotic colors, hold moments of silence and flag ceremonies, share about the day's historical significance through morning and video announcements, and so much more. PYL will never forget. And in closing, we have a very special announcement to share this evening. Each year, the California School Boards Association, known as CSBA, presents the Golden Gavel Award to one Missouri school board member across the entire state. The Golden Gavel Award recipient exemplifies best practices in effective governance and sponsorship and reflects the depth and breadth of governance decisions supporting programs that are necessary to address students' changing needs. The nomination process for this award is extensive, and board members must meet a long list of criteria to even be considered. Tonight, I'm proud to announce that our very own Mr. Lemon, Unified School District Board President, Ms. Karen Freeman, has been selected for this distinguished honor. Let's give her a round of applause. School District's merger in 1989, President Freeman also served on the Board of Education for the Yorba Linda School District. It's no secret that she has displayed exemplary horsemanship and has functioned as a trustworthy, community-minded elected official, qualities that have sustained her seat on the board for over three decades. CSBA plans to officially recognize President Freeman in December and will be time during our future board meeting to properly honor her and share all about her accomplishments. Congratulations, President Okay, well, we are at staff presentations, and as we get ready for that, um, I'm looking to see if the instructional supervisor, Linda Skipper, is she still here? She's there. Um, we also have a very strong partnership So, for example, the mural that you were talking about in your report is so we have at our, our various schools, our high schools, we have European instructors. And Mrs. Linda Skipper is our trustee uh, instructional supervisor for all of our school programs for ROP. Linda, just briefly stand through, I'm going to embarrass you. But she has a, an important role in serving our students from ROP 
in this district. And thank you for being here this The next item on tonight's agenda is being presented at the request of the community member. The specific request was to modify the current use of the facility's fee structure. And as a result, Mr. David Giordano, Assistant Superintendent of Business Services, and Mr. Paul Juarez, Director of Visa Facilities, will provide the board with a presentation that includes an overview of the use of the facilities program, as well as the fee structure that was subsequently approved by the board in August 2019. Mr. Giordano. Thank you, Dr. Alsasser, President Freeman, and members of the board. Uh, tonight, Mr. Paul Wars and I will be providing an overview of our district's use of facilities program. Uh, Mr. Wars currently serves as the director that oversees our program, and he also oversees our energy management program as well. So here's a look at tonight's agenda. First, we're going to provide an overview of the district's use of facilities program, and then discuss the key responsibilities and support functions of this department. Next, we're going to review the key provisions that are contained in the California Civic Center Act, Head Code Section 38.4, and then the California Federal Regulations, all which govern our use of school facilities. We're also going to discuss why the district initially conducted the fee study that was finalized back in early 2019, the process that was utilized to form that fee study, including the stakeholder engagement component. And then lastly, we're going to finish up with a review of our cost recovery history status. Next, I'm going to turn it over to Mr. Juarez, who's going to provide an overview of our program. Good evening. As outlined in the Civic Center Act, which Mr. Giordano will expand on, district facilities are to be made available as civic centers for the community, but not in use for school purposes under specified guidelines. A key responsibility of the program is to oversee external athletic groups in regards to facility allocation, scheduling, communication of rules and regulations, assignment of support staff, verification of required insurance, and billing. In a typical year, there are more than 16,000 external athletic events that are held on district facilities. Use of facility staff works closely with the high school athletic directors and site administration to determine when external teams can have access to district facilities, as internal sports programs have priority scheduling. The types of groups served by the department range from the recreation to club teams, and include such organizations as Junior United Soccer Association, JUSA, Advantage Football League, AFL, Elite Aquatic Sports Team, East, Swim Team of Placentia, STOP, Orange County Water Polo Foundation, North County Sports Association, to name a few. Additionally, we serve the city of Yorba Linda and Placentia in various events. The district theater, which includes the Performing Arts Center at El Dorado High School, the auditorium at Valencia High School, and the forum at Yorba Linda High School, are also scheduled and staffed by the Use of Facilities Department. The theaters, which are heavily used, differ from sports in that the department is responsible for scheduling and staffing for external as well as internal events. In a typical year, approximately 1,000 plays, church services, instrumental and choir concerts, dance show, as well as other events take place in these facilities. Mr. John, 
Mr. Giordano will now cover some of the rules and regulations governing school facilities. So existing law, which is known as the Civic Center Act, provides the statutory authority and the legal framework regarding the use of school district facilities by our external groups. This act authorizes the school district to grant the use of school facilities or grounds as civic centers for specific purposes upon the terms and conditions that are set forth by our governing board. The law also authorizes school districts to charge a fee not to exceed the school district's direct cost for the use of school facilities or grounds by entities that promote youth and school activities or sports league activities for youth. The key classifications are defined in Education Code Section 38134, as well as our board policy 1330 use of school facilities. And here's a look at those key classifications that are defined in Education Code Section 38134 policy. So in proportion to the organization's use of school facilities or grounds, direct costs include all the following. Includes the share of costs of supplies, utilities, janitorial services, services of school district employees, and salaries paid to school district employees to operate and maintain our school facilities and grounds. And direct costs also include the share of costs for maintenance, repair, and restoration, and the refurbishment of school facilities and grounds. The fair rental value costs all the direct cost fees that you just mentioned, plus the amortized cost of the school facilities or grounds. These fees must be charged for entertainment events or meetings where an additional fee is charged or contributions are solicited, and the net receipts are not expended for the welfare of the district students or for charitable purposes. The California Code of Regulations, this is section 14041, it further requires the school district to adopt a fee schedule that includes the hourly fee for specific school facility or grounds and charging fees pursuant to the Civic Center Act. This law also further defines how school use fees are to be calculated. So why did our district complete a fee study? Well, there were significant changes that were made in the law that occurred between 2012 and 2013 which made it necessary for the district to update our board policy 1330 governing the use of school facilities. The board policy was updated in August of 2017 to align with the changes in law, including the changes to the fee classifications. In the following month, this was in September of 2017, the board approved an agreement with an independent expert to perform a fee study. The study was necessary in order to update the district's fee table using current district cost data and ensure alignment with the Civic Center Act requirements. It's also important to note that there were two local bond measures that were passed by voters Measure Y in 2002 and then Measure A in 2008. It provided approximately $300 million in local funding and another $300 million in state matching funds to upgrade district facilities. And without a dedicated funding source to maintain these major taxpayer investments, it's important that staff periodically review and update the district's use facility fee table to ensure cost recovery for facility use efforts outside the group. Additionally, each year our district spends approximately $2 million to maintain all of our grass fields throughout the district. Prior to the fee study, there was no mechanism to recover the cost incurred by the district for grass field usage by the outside groups. As a result of that, the discretionary revenue in the general fund was used to cover all of these costs. Of course, these resources could have been used to fund other district priorities. Likewise, the cost to maintain other district facilities continue to increase each and every year as well. And to ensure our district is able to maintain high quality facilities for all of our students, staff, and our community, 
it's important that we continue to recover costs incurred for the outside facility use. Regarding the process that we utilized to conduct the fee study, our staff reached out to multiple companies that specialize in this type of work. Ultimately, it was cooperative strategies that were selected as the district's independent expert to perform that fee study. Companies well known as one of the premier consultants used by school districts perform this type of detailed fee analysis. Preparation of fee study involved an extensive and detailed collection of district data, which was used to calculate school district direct cost. The study also included updated fee calculations that are based on that district cost data, as well as the civic center requirements that were in, time, at, at, in place at the time. Uh, currently, several of our surrounding districts are going through a similar process to update their respective fee tables, and the majority of these districts are using cooperative strategies to complete that required analysis. So after the fee study was finalized, this was back in February of 2019, during the following month, our staff held a staff meeting with the key stakeholder groups to discuss the results of that fee study, to review the proposed fee schedule, and then gather feedback from the different stakeholder groups. There were over a dozen representatives from various groups that were able to participate in that discussion. And the majority of stakeholders in attendance requested a phased implementation timeline for the proposed fee revisions. Additional concerns raised by some of the groups included maintenance of district facilities and then perceived rate disparity across similar facilities. In the weeks following the, the stakeholder meeting, our staff received some additional feedback from several of those user groups. And to address their concerns, staff used the feedback to develop a multi-year phased implementation plan for the proposed fee revisions. The plan would allow user groups time to adjust the new fee schedule over a period spanning nearly two years. So in August of 2019, uh, that new fee schedule was approved by the Board of Education. Any reduction in fees for the fee study went into effect immediately upon board approval. And the greatest reductions were seen in fees associated with the use of our theaters. To address the stakeholder feedback that we discussed earlier, that new fee schedule became effective April 1st of 2020, a full month, a full eight months after board approval, and then was phased in over a two-year period with 50% of applicable fee increases April 1 of 2020, and then the remaining 50% after April 1 of 2021. With that, I'm going to turn it back over to Mr. Juarez to provide a review of the program's cost recovery history and then the current status as well. This slide summarizes our cost recovery history for the use of facilities program over the last several years. These were covered during the 1819 and uh, I'm sorry, 17-18 and 18-19 fiscal years were based on the prior fee table. Over 60% of the fees were covered in those fiscal years related to external use of district theaters. As you can see from this slide, 2019-20 facility use was severely impacted by the pandemic-related shutdown of all school facilities and grounds in March of 2020. Up until the shutdown, facility usage by external groups was high and the program was on track to exceed prior year cost recovery. Although the district began to reopen school facilities and grounds to external groups beginning October of 2020, many groups were seriously impacted by state and local health regulations, which limited the organization's return to facility use. Though sports were heavily affected, theater use experienced the largest reduction in use as indoor regulations remained extremely strict. Even today, challenges continue due to the pandemic. The department is working closely with external groups regarding state and local health regulations to facilitate a return to facility use. A 
Activity for the month of July and August has increased, although theater use is recovering slowly. The program is excited to see a return to use by exist, uh, existing groups. Additionally, there has been a significant increase in first-time group interest in using district facilities. With that, we'd like to open up to uh, any questions the board may have. Board members, please. Any questions? Most of my questions um, don't really have to pertain to your um, presentation, but more to the original study that was done by Cooperative Stat um, Strategies. And I'm wondering if it's possible to have them come back to answer some of their questions. Um, I mean, I can give examples of what I'm looking at, but um, if you look at Table 5, Table 15, and Table 22. I have a lot of questions on how these um, numbers for proportional use came to be. Um, I did, did, just did some simple math, and the numbers don't really add up. And so I'm just, um, I'll, I'll give you an example. Um, it says for Table 5 that. Uh, it was calculated 180 days of school, it was seven hours, and that calculation in the study comes out to 1,836 hours, but if I do the math correctly with my fancy um, iPhone thing, it comes out to 1,260. So I'm concerned that these numbers were used to come up with our proportional use, and if these numbers are not correct, if the basis of our proportional use are not accurate, then everything going after that is incorrect. And um, that, that same thing happened with um, outdoor facilities as well. Um, the pool fees was correct, but I have some questions about how that number was also generated, um, the hours. So um, I was just wondering if they could come back and do a presentation. I know you guys did not do this study. I just have questions, and I'm just kind of curious of how those came to be. Thank you, thank you, Ms. Anderson. Absolutely, we can invite uh, cooperative strategies back and, and go through the, the fee study in detail. I don't think that would be an issue at all. I think uh, when you look at that fee study, it was very time intensive. You know, that process took well over a year to complete. And really, what they were doing is they were looking at they're looking at facility schedules for the application, taking all that information, gathering all of our cost data as well. So they literally went through all of our uh, financial system data and did multiple financial inputs and translations into process. So there was a lot of detailed analysis that they did. I'm sure they'd be happy to come in and explain you know, the basis of some of those calculations. That report is pretty detailed. I've gone through it, but it's been a while. It was completed back in February 2019. So um, it's been some time since I went through it. So we'd be happy to invite them back. Thank you. So I would suggest if we do that, we bring them back in the, uh, like a, a five o'clock workshop prior to starting this study. Additional questions. Oh, did you have more? Oh, I'm so sorry. 
Yeah, and I'd also really like to see the um, comparison chart of the facilities from the other districts. Um, that study, it's not shown in the original study, and you didn't show it today. And I'm just um, that was one of the main stakeholder feedbacks was they they were you know you know worried that our fees or whatever were unjust. And so I just think it'd be really good to see that since it was a stakeholder comment. Thank you, Ms. Anderson. Absolutely, you can provide that information. Um, when we did the analysis, when they did the study, this was again back in February 2019 when we wrapped up, our staff went in and did comparisons of surrounding districts, and we've got that data and are happy to show it to you. Okay, thank you. My question would be about, I believe it's the 501c3, the nonprofits, um, which would be a benefit in our district if they had um, a type of club team and they had 51% of people from our city. Um, Using or on a team that they could apply for the nonprofit status. Um, and I think part of the issue is that as of July 22nd, when um, a group contacted Orange Unified School District, their nonprofit is $15 an hour to use the pool. And I know that Irvine has a nonprofit status too. And so I think the question is is that how come we have not provided a nonprofit status to um, people in our district who? Um, who want it. Yeah, another, another good point. So thank you, Mrs. Blade. So when you look at our fee schedule, there's three basic categories. You have the, the internal groups, of, uh, which is really all of our internal groups that would be using our facilities, our sports teams. You also have direct cost groups, those are your nonprofits. And then you have uh, the fair value group, which is really your for-profits. So the majority of our nonprofits fall in that direct cost category. When you look at PTAs and, and booster groups, for example, and those are really um, outside. They're sort of in between an internal group and a, and a direct cost group. Uh, we don't charge for their use because their school activities are directly related to uh, the school. But the majority of the nonprofits are categorized in that direct cost group. Are any of our coaches or any of the people who have club teams, are they in that nonprofit group? Yes, that, that's where their categories. Yes. Is there a number in which a uh, number amount of students uh, that are needed in order to provide that nonprofit uh, tag? No, it's, it's really. In fact, I'm going to speak to this. It's probably more well spoken on this particular topic. It's really just a designation of that that, that nonprofit status that they might file. So. Sure. Benefit that they uh, would have with um, how many students are enrolled in our district is through priority uh, when it comes to uh, use. Uh, but as far as uh, nonprofit, uh, the majority of them are already nonprofit, and uh, um, that's that, I think that's all that's needed for that for that, that portion. So, well, if they have if our if coaches have a club team and have a nonprofit. So would that uh, would that be something in which we could look at as a board in order to to change? If I've got a, a coach that has a nonprofit team on the weekend and wants to use facilities, would we we be able to charge a different amount from outside boosters that are wanting to use that same facility? Thank you, Mr. Mangard. That that's actually a question that we have posed to 
council because there's those specific categories that are included in the Civic Center Act, those, those categories that we used earlier, um, there's really no way to tweak those categories. If we start to- You can charge start, zero. The Civic start, Center Act allows you to charge excuse zero. Excuse me, this is not a public discussion. This is on me. Thank you. If we, if we start, start to charge differently between the groups, we're going to be subject to some type of discrimination claim. So we have to be careful not to create different, That's not different true. schedules That's that not are for some groups versus others. So it's just we have to, we definitely have to review that with the legal counsel. But I think it could be, could be problematic if we're trying to give certain groups a preferential rate. But it would be acceptable if it were a flat rate across the board. Um, and do you know how these pool fees were done? I know we have a smaller pool than Irvine, and Irvine's charging, as of this year, charging $84 an hour. And they have twice the size of the pool that we do, but we're charging $120 an hour. And can you also tell me what the custodian fees are per hour? Because we raised that, I think, to $48 an hour. Yeah, we can provide additional detail on, on those those numbers, but we have to reach out to those districts and, and get that feedback. I know they just went through a use facility suite study themselves, and they just adjusted their rates, and I don't have those. We have to provide that information. I know that they did just go through a, a suite study, and those rates have So we worked closely with, uh, with the custodial supervisor, and uh, I'm, I'm happy to share that because of uh, trying to work to lower those costs, you're correct, it's 48 an hour for um, overtime. Uh, but the, we were able to do a one hour overtime at the end of the shift, and, and hopefully there's enough to uh, teams that are playing um, on our fields at that time to split those costs. So we were able to charge only 25 for one hour instead of um, many other uh, many other districts go all the way up to like you said forty eight dollars an hour um, for a three hour minimum actually so we're able to do it per team uh, twenty five um, for the entire day um, that's on weekdays on the weekends we actually do have to do a three hour minimum that's, that's required by the union um, so we also work though to to provide if. If they're going to be an extensive day, to have them come on and then um, return instead of possibly if it's a 12-hour day, um, seeing where that custodian can be helpful to reduce some of those costs. So we're working closely with, with the user groups to try to lower those costs because we do understand um, that if it's a long day, that those prices can be high. Um, and I also had another question, too. Is the reason that maybe our pool fees are so much higher is that we're charging per lane? I know like if a water polo team um, wants to use the pool, they don't need any lanes, but they usually just get separated off. So are we charging by lane or are we charging for the entire pool? Is that why maybe we're so much higher? And I also wanted to ask too, our boosters are paying a lot of money um, to maintain the fields as well. And so I kind of have been asking and I haven't really seen how much is going into each program that we come back. I think I've asked several times to see what goes out into what program. Um, I know baseball spent $10,000 to do their varsity fields, probably more now, for varsity and JV um, at one of the high schools. Um, I know the soccer, the soccer field at another high school 
they've been spending ten, fifteen thousand dollars, and that's coming from the booster. And so I think some of the frustration of the parents is, you know, that we're paying, you're living in the city, you're paying your taxes, and then here you are, your, you know, your your son, your daughter signed up for sports, and here you are paying more money to the boosters as all the fees keep rising, and then now the facility fees are rising, and you're just like bleeding money. The programs are bleeding money. So I think it would be good if our community, or at least us as a board too, can see how much the district is actually putting into these fields and actually putting into the pool and putting into the facilities. Transparency. Yep. So that would be, I think that would be a really good thing for all of us to be able to see so we know exactly where the money's going. We definitely provide that information for you. In terms of the, the pools charging the bike pools, if you look around the surrounding districts, it's typically you run out the entire pool. And I think there's reasons for that. You know, if you have a, a water polo team practice event, for example, it'd be very difficult to divide that up safely. And so it's typically rented out by uh, the entire pool. And so, but those are things that we could investigate further. There might be a swim team, for example, that comes in and you can safely divide up the pool. So there are things that we can look at if the board is interested. Thank you. Yes. I'd like just to ask a question about, um, so we're talking about renting the space um, for community groups. Is there, um, and, and I'm only really interested in the fields as you look at uh, low-income neighborhoods that may not have parks that are close to them. Um, what have we looked at to open up those fields? What is the schedule like? Is there availability for, um, for the community to come in and use those fields, regardless of if they have a, um, you know, maybe not an organized activity, but designated times for them to use that? Um, we, we do have several organizations throughout uh, the, that would be considered in those areas. We have a fantastic soccer program that has been uh, over at OPAS for several years. Um, the cost is, is pretty minimal, and, uh, and we also have tried to, in, in, in what was brought up about custodial costs, um, in those areas that we can do a porta potty, it's uh, much less uh, cost having to have a custodian there to do so. So if we are able to provide those, we, we do that. Um, some of the other areas, such as um, uh, Rio Vista, um, that is uh, joint use. Um, so is um, down past Garden Point for Yes. So um, many of those are joint use agreements. Yeah. Outside of that, we do have many soccer organizations already utilizing those spaces. So when they're not being used for soccer and not during school time, they're actually available and open for the community. Um, we are not. We're not open for for um, like park use um, at this time. Um, so that that could be something that we can look into further. Any other questions? So if we can gather, gather
Okay. All right. Can we take a quick break? Oh, yes. It, it, yes, that would be great. Uh, we will take, uh, well, let's be back at 9 o'clock. Let's just come back at 9 o'clock. Thank you. We're going to take a recess since we um, have some more time to go on the agenda. So at 8.47, we are taking a recess. Okay, my friends. So we've been on now for a couple hours. I'm starving. So, and oh, my battery's going to run out too. So um, I'm going to conclude the video. They have more that they're going to be discussing later. Um, but I'm sorry. I, uh, I need to go. I need some food. All of you that have been watching, uh, Martin, right? Martin and Jennifer. Kathy, Kristen, who is watching, yeah, Amber, all you guys, thank you for your comments and uh, participating in the meeting. That would I appreciate you so much. Thanks. Bye.